as we clip that right there as we get situated here many hats that's right that's right many hats today yeah when pastor said hey actually my voice isn't back can you hook me up I said I think I can Woo, I am feeling, though, I told the early service, I am feeling like your typical average Southern Baptist preacher. My goodness, I'm just, I got my sweat rag going. I got my, I got my jacket and my tie on today. And it, this just happened to work out really well because a couple of days ago, I come across this jacket and I thought, I'm going to shake it up a little bit. I'm going to wear a jacket. And then, here I am, I get the privilege of uh, speaking with you all fine folk today. And I am excited. I'm very excited that I get to do this. Because when he asked me, hey, can you fill in? I said, absolutely. Because I get to talk about one of my favorite books of the Bible. I'm talking about the book of Genesis. I love the book of Genesis. I love it. I love everything about the book of Genesis because in the book of Genesis, we not only learn about how God created man in his own image and established the order of the universe, but we also learn from God creating man in his own image and establishing the order of the universe. If I wave this around, is that going to be distracting? Should I probably put this away? Is this, let me just one more swig. The Hebrew title for the book of Genesis is actually Beginnings, which is appropriate because in the book of Beginnings, we learn about how everything you and I see all began, how they all got their beginning. I love the book of Genesis. I love it. So this past week... I thought we should be talking about the book of Genesis because I don't know if you all saw this or not, but a couple days ago, they were on the news talking about a drought that had hit Texas. You all know where I'm going with this? You all might already know. A drought had hit Texas, and it was so bad, and apparently it's still bad, that an entire river has dried up. You all see this? What did they discover? You all know? Yes. Dinosaur footprints. Clear as day, dinosaur tracks. I think we got somewhere there. Go ahead, Aaron, give me this. Look at that. You, you can actually see the claws. Give me the next one. Look at that. You can actually see the claws. These are amazing. I love this stuff. I love the book of Genesis. There's another one. You can see how dinosaurs, I mean, you, you just learned so much about dinosaurs. I love it. And I was like, yes. What's the next one? Give me the next one. Yeah, Dinosaur Tracks been revealed in Dinosaur Valley. State Park. I love this. Except there is one thing I take issue with. (laughs) Everybody said the timeline. Yeah. I thought, okay, well, given the date right there, 
in the Bible's stance on the age of the earth, which is approximately around nine to 10,000 years old, which I know goes against the grain. Thank you, Scott. But when you add up the dates in the Bible, you add up the lifelines and the genealogies and all of these things, you get a, an approximate date of around nine to 10,000 years. Now, we look at this and we say, dinosaur expert, well, there you go, explains 113 million year old tracks revealed by drought. I love dinosaurs. I do. My kids love dinosaurs. My 10-year-old daughter this past week, when I was putting her to bed, she goes, Daddy, what happened to the dinosaurs? And, I, and, that was, and she was supposed to be in bed by a certain time. 45 minutes later, I've got, I've got the chalkboard out, and I've got all my stacks of papers and books. And, I, and I'm just like, so then, right, this is what happened. It's mind-blowing. I love how dinosaurs fit into Scripture. I love it. I love dinosaurs, which is why this is a problem. Because someone is wrong. Someone's wrong. You both can't be right. So if you've got your Bibles with you today, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to take a verse, not in Genesis, but I'm going to apply it to the entire book of Genesis. Okay, so it's going to be a little different today. It's, it's, we're going to talk about Genesis without actually talking in Genesis, if that makes any sense. So just bear with me today and just know it's going to be slightly different. But it's all good information. Promise. You're not going to be disappointed. Nope. I don't want to promise that. We'll just see what happens. Let's see what the Spirit does, okay? <laughs> Absolutely. So we're talking about the book of Genesis, and we're going to be doing it in the context of 2 Timothy 3. So if you have your Bibles, please turn over there to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And this is our reading from earlier. Starting in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Now, what we just read, those few verses, completely obliterate and undo everything that the devil has been trying to do since the very beginning. What was the very first attack, a recorded attack in scripture from Satan? Did God really say? That was the very first scene that we are introduced to the devil in scripture. Is What's he doing? He is getting Eve to question the word of God. He's placing doubt in God's established word. Now in the grand scheme of things, if this is his whole idea and he starts with, I'm going to get him to doubt God's word. 
then it must be of the utmost importance that we continue in what we have learned and firmly believe it. 2 Corinthians 3, or Timothy 3. What did I say? So what I want to do in the moments that we have is give you three reasons why it is important that we believe in and affirm the book of Genesis. Why it's important for us to believe in the historical account and take it at its word. I want to take 2 Timothy 3 here and apply it to this book. So y'all, y'all with me? Good? And to start us out, I'll give you a freebie. Okay, this is no charge. Bonus fourth reason, right, right here, just preface it. No other historical account, no other explanation, no other sacred writing alternative is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That alone should be enough reason to believe in the book of Genesis because of what 2 Timothy 3 just says. All scripture is able to make us wise for salvation. So I told the youth a couple months ago, I did this sort of Bible study very quickly, and I told them, I warned them, hey, I'm probably going to expound on this a little bit. And so the next time I get a chance to preach on a Sunday morning, you can be ready that this is going that this is coming. So looks like the uh, the poison has officially kicked in and now it's finally my turn. Okay? Okay, people are laughing. Whew. It was a joke. Pastor's fine. Except if he's not fine, then I'm going to have somebody knocking on my door and I'm like it's on the internet. Whoops. Yeesh. But the church needs to be aware of this. This is why I said, I told the youth, the church needs to be aware of this. Because we've got Jesus-loving Christians in our church who have actually said to me, what difference does this make? We all love Jesus, so what does it matter how we all got here? And when I heard that, I thought, you've been attending New Haven far too long to be thinking something like that. <laughs> so I'm going to give you three reasons why it matters how we got here. Why Genesis matters. Because when I hear that kind of question, I don't get a sense of mature, well-established, well-formed Christian faith. Which is number one. Why is it important to believe in the book of Genesis? Well, let's look at 2 Timothy again. Verse 3, because all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for what? Teaching, for reproof, for correction, training in righteousness. Uh, verse 17, that the man of God may be uh, complete and equipped for every good work. Why is it important? Number one, because we are called to be complete or some translations have mature. We're called to be mature in our faith, ready and equipped for every good work. The book of Genesis is breathed out by God, so it's profitable for all these things. Now listen, I've got, I've got four small kids. Yeah, I've got four small children. And I need to be prepared. I need to be equipped and ready to answer the question, where do babies come from? Where do babies come from? I got to be ready for that. It's coming at some point. Why don't they know this already? Because they're small kids. 
They're immature, small little children. They better not know this already. <laughs> they better not. So why don't they? Because they're not ready for it. They're ill-equipped. They're small kids. The Greek word there actually in 2 Timothy 3.17, that the man of God may be complete. Actually, the Greek word there is artios, which actually has this idea of ready. It's the idea of, of, of being ready so that the man of God is ready and he's well-equipped. See, my kids are immature and they are not ready to understand this subject matter. They're not ready for it. What I mean is, is that when a Christian grows and matures in their faith, we are being taught and prepared, made ready and equipped for every good work. When that happens, now we are becoming equipped. We are being made ready. We are being made mature. A mature Christian who has grown in his faith and has an understanding and confidence in the word of God does not need to ask, where did we come from? And how were we made? Or does it even matter? I mean, spiritually speaking, it's like a little child questioning how babies are made. You get it? You understand what I'm saying? If you're unsure about the book of Genesis, you are pretty much stating, I don't know where babies come from. Why? Because you really ultimately don't know where babies come from. <laughs> if you don't believe in the book of Genesis and, and as it's written, it's not a sign of mature faith. And we are called to know our Bibles so much better than that. This is not a characteristic of someone who has built their life upon the foundation of God's word. And I'd also like to point out here that Paul is writing to Timothy. He's a pretty young guy. And so Paul says that the man may be complete, ready, and equipped. The expectation is that, is that he's matured. He has grown in his walk. We are called to be mature in our faith and in our biblical knowledge. We've got to know what our Bible says. So why is it important to believe in the book of Genesis? Because we are called to know our word. We've got to know what we believe we got to be mature in that. Number two, why is it important for us to believe the book of Genesis? Because Jesus himself believed in the historical account of the book of Genesis. God in flesh testified to the book of Genesis. In fact, just in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus refers back to the book of Genesis multiple times. Multiple times. And I'll just give you a, a couple real quick. Matthew 19, 4. Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? So Jesus believes in the creation account? That verse right there actually knocks out the entire theory of evolution or, or even theistic evolution. If you don't know what the difference between evolution and theistic evolution is, basically it's this. Theistic evolution is evolution except that God guided it and manipulated it and directed it but this right here knocks that whole idea out that evolution out why because when did he make them male and female when in the beginning from the beginning made them male and female not a single cell amoeba 
and it was from the beginning, not millions of years takes place. This whole thing knocks that out, if we are to believe Jesus. And then again, the flood that takes place in Genesis 6, Jesus refers back to that. Matthew 24 and 37, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. You know what he's saying here? He's saying that when he returns, when Jesus comes back, he's saying when I come back, everything on earth will be different. Nothing will stay the same. And you know what? Some Christian scholars actually hold the theory that the flood wasn't a global, a worldwide event. To which I say, well, what do you do with this verse? Jesus believes it. Jesus believes that it was a global, worldwide event. And so this verse kind of knocks that idea out because Jesus believes that the flood was a worldwide event, which is why he compares his second coming to it. It's going to affect everybody. So in the very least, this verse testifies that the flood story in Genesis 6 is not only true, but it was a worldwide event, a global event that affected everything, if we are to take Jesus at his word. So where's the harm in that headline? If I haven't laid it out enough for you, where's the harm in the headline? 113 million years ago. What's the problem? Come on. Because it contradicts what the Bible says. And it contradicts what Jesus says. And any theory that clashes with Genesis clashes with Jesus. And it plants a seed of doubt in what Jesus has said. And it plants a seed of doubt in what God has said. Where have I heard that before? That sounds awfully familiar. Did God really say Now you see what, what, what the devil has done by attacking the, the historical reliability of Genesis. You see how he has done that. You can question Genesis, then you can also question Jesus. And if you can question Jesus in regards to Genesis, then maybe you can question Jesus in regards to your salvation. Oh, he's crafty. And unfortunately, our schools have bought this hook, line, and sinker. And so when I say nine to 10,000 years old, that's what the world will react with. That's crazy. Just throw a couple more million years at it and then we're good. Why not 143 million years? Why wasn't that 65 million years like I was taught? I thought it was 65 million years. You know, one million years is kind of a long time. Yeah, that's a little bit. So why not 65? Why not 6,500,000 million years? What's the difference? Who cares? Just keep, just keep throwing time at it. It's all good. Are the words of Jesus part of Scripture? Yeah, that means they're God-breathed and divinely inspired. Well, that's Jesus then. And Jesus is kind of the expert. I think he'd be the one to know a little bit. We turn to Colossians 1, verse 16. I think we got it up here. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. For by him, all things were created. 
whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That sounds like a lot of things. All things. So, yeah, Jesus is a reliable source. And if it's good enough for him, it ought to be good enough for us. I'm not going to believe the 45-year-old paleontologist who appears on CNN who admits that he's still learning. Someone is wrong. Someone is wrong. And it ain't the one who made it all. And really, that's really the only reason that we need to believe in the book of Genesis? Do we need more reason than that? That Jesus himself believes it? The one who made it? The one who was there from before the beginning? That's kind of all the reason that we really need. But, as this is a Southern Baptist uh, church, we have to have our three points. So I'm going to give you a third. Number three, why we need to believe in the book of Genesis is because without it, we got no gospel. There is no gospel without Genesis. In fact, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, my man, great preacher, said, unless Genesis is history, I have no gospel. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I recently went back to school, Billy Madison style, and it's been, (laughs) I'm just going to break down and start crying. (laughs) I don't know what you guys, I don't know if you all know this or not, but but they put me in in something called a J term. You all know what a J term is? Anybody know what a J term is? So no one over here knows what a J-term is either. Okay, good. So we all don't know together. J-term is, is when you're taking classes online, um, they speed everything up. They speed the process up. They condense everything and throw it into uh, eight weeks, an eight-week semester. And I didn't know when they told me, hey, you're going to just sign up for Christian Education 101. And I said, okie dokie. Bloop. And I hit click. And I'll be in that class. And I thought, hey, you know what? I think typical full-time student takes, what, 15 credit hours, which is, what, five, five classes? I was ready to, go, to click on a couple more classes. Boy, am I glad I didn't. <laughs> it's been... <sighs> anyway, so one of the first questions that, that they that they asked me, that I had to answer, was, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? And I'm online, when you're doing it online, I'm going to the undergrad school of the Southern Seminary down in Louisville, and when you're doing it online, uh, and they ask you these, these questions, depending on the assignment, you can see what the other students are writing. You can kind of see what their answers are. And... Um, and they can see mine. They can see what I'm writing. And they can see what I, you know, I'm posting. And so it's, I don't know, 
it's interesting. But with this question, what is the gospel? I, I went through and I was like, what are some of these guys getting at? I wonder what they say. And I'm going to give you one. I doubt he Googled me and is watching right now, although I did him. I did Google him. Um, <clears throat> Internet is, is fascinating. Facebook. I found him online. I don't, whatever. I'm not ashamed to say it. There you go. In this discussion, uh, this discussion thread, I could see what he wrote and in his response to what is the gospel, he wrote this. The gospel is the message of salvation through faith in Christ. Sounds pretty good. I got no issue there. That's fine. And in fact, even if I did, I'm not the teacher. Why do I feel like I have to grade this guy? I don't know. I, I don't know. But this is where I parted ways with him. He said, it is not the same thing as the Bible, but it is contained within it. I suspect he heard that or read that somewhere. But in my very limited experience of learning, this to me is what the gospel is. It is the Bible in its entirety. 100% in its entirety, the gospel message begins in Genesis and runs all through Scripture. In fact, the entire rest of the Old Testament points forward to the coming Messiah. Now, I think passages like Ephesians 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. I think that really gets to the core of the message. And if you're short on time, you could rattle that off, and I think it'd be okay. I think it'd be fine. However, the gospel is not confined, it is not contained to the New Testament. You, you, you guys want a really good summary of the gospel? You guys want to know? Here's, here's just a good summarization of the gospel. Turn over to 1 Corinthians, and we'll end here in 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians 15, verse 3. You guys want to know how to summarize the gospel? First Corinthians 15, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, in verse 5, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. And you know what? It gets better. See, that's a good summary of the gospel. You want to summarize it? That's good. But it gets better. Stay there in chapter 15 and turn over there. Because here we go. Verse 21. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. See, God... Paul understood that the gospel starts with Adam, which is why he wrote that, which is why he wrote that. For as by one man, we all died. If, if, if we do not believe that Genesis is historically accurate, it should be taken at its word, then who in the world is Paul talking about? Who is Adam in this? In this verse, who is Adam? What is Adam? Why is Adam? Any of these questions. 
Or chapter 3 in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke's genealogy. He starts with Jesus and traces him all the way back to Adam, the son of God. What do we do with these things if Genesis is not historically accurate? If Genesis doesn't matter to us, then what do we do? And here's one more. Without Adam, how did we get sin? Where did sin come from? Because without Adam, you have no sin. And without sin, you have no death. And without death, you have no Jesus on the cross. You have no gospel message. What do we do with this? Without Genesis, we have no beginning of the light of the gospel that we are commissioned to take to a dark world. And without the gospel, we are not complete. We're not ready. And we are not fully equipped. What are we going to take to the world without the gospel? Hey, here's a good book. It's kind of long. Why don't you read it? There's no, there's no hope in it. There's no gospel message. There's no good news. What do we take that we are, have been commissioned, Matthew 28, to take without the gospel message? Either the Bible is wrong, which would mean that God is wrong, as it is his word, and he's either wrong on accident, which means he's incompetent, or he's wrong on purpose, which means he's a liar, or our fellow man is wrong, and he is seriously misdating the age of the earth. Someone is wrong, and I personally... I mean, think about this. Either God and his word is wrong or the 58-year-old professor is wrong. I don't have that much faith in professors. They're not watching, I'm sure. Because <laughs> I have a couple now. <laughs> but think about that. That's the offense. 113 million years. We can't both be right. Someone's got to be wrong. And it's either God who gave us his word or it's the dude from CNN. I think it's a pretty easy decision who is probably wrong in this, sake, in this case. We put our faith in the word of God. You understand that people have been trying to disprove and destroy the Bible for thousands of years. And they either fail or better yet, they become Christians. It is the largest religion in the world. Now, I'm not saying that our Bible, that Scripture, it, it doesn't take some studying and a little effort to understand it sometimes. Sometimes we have questions. What does this verse mean? Why would he do that? But now, when you're asking those questions, you're digging. You're searching. You're looking and, 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 and shuffling through the pages in your Bible. And you know what? The devil absolutely hates that because that is a beautiful and powerful thing when the Christian opens up the word of God. The devil hates it. And so here's the deal. We either believe it, every word of it, or none of it. Because now you can't just throw pieces that you don't like out. Now there are certain verses that make, make you feel a little uncomfortable 
or that might make you ask questions. Why would God do something like this? When we acknowledge that Scripture is without error, truly breathed out by God, divinely inspired, we are growing and becoming more mature in our faith, aligning ourselves with Jesus and agreeing with what he has said, and we are giving the gospel a clear message from beginning to end. And this is what we need. This is what we need. The book of Genesis, so that we can be complete, so that we can be ready, so that we can be well-equipped for every good work. Now, I don't know if you're here and you may be unsure about some of the things that the Bible has to say. Maybe you're even saying, no, I, actually, I doubt some of this stuff. And that's okay. Let me pray for you right now. Let me pray for you and your home that the Holy Spirit would be welcomed there, and that the Bible would be not only believed, but also taught. Maybe you live in a home where the Bible is never opened. That's okay. Let me pray for you. Because God can change that. He has changed that. <laughs> this isn't something he's new at. Let me pray that God's word will be revealed and very clear to you. So let's pray. Lord Jesus. I thank you, Father, for today. I thank you, Lord, for each person that is here, that is gathered together to assemble with your body. Lord, I thank you for the worship that you have given uh, to us to bless you with. What a gift. What a treasure it is. But, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word, both written and living. Lord, I thank you because it is perfect. It is more sweeter than honey, and it is more precious than gold. I pray, Lord, for those who are here now, Lord. I pray, Father, for those who do not know your word, who have not uh, uh, put their faith in you, Lord. I pray for those that may be here, Lord, that may even doubt your word. But, Lord, I ask that you would reveal your word to them. Because, Father, we know that you are not willing that any should perish, but all should come to salvation. Father, I ask. I ask that you would use your word, use us in this moment to reveal who you are to these people who may be doubting you, may be doubting your word and the truth that lies within. Because, Father, we know that the world is full of knowledge, but, Lord, we know that they lack truth. So, Father, we thank you for your word where we are uh, constantly able to draw from this bottomless well of truth and wisdom. Father, I pray for our homes, for our households, that your truth would be believed and taught and that your spirit would be welcomed. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.